Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, hey, Breaking Down Bits, I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and here we are, the finale of season two technically episode 20 and man it's been a wild ride 2020 uh we did some stuff and we're getting to end on a super high note with an amazing guest for our final uh, finale this year we're out here doing it true uh before we get into that let's do a quick call back to our interview with christina Catherine martinez what you got look okay if you i i love everything about this lady um everything about her art uh, the part that really stuck out to me was when she talked about clown school, which I didn't even know existed really before this. And I'm definitely looking into it because I love it. Um, her strength was her word. She was an art critic. She was very literary and, and smart, intelligent lady. So the teacher made her not use her words. So look, you're, that's your that's your crutch. Turned off her words. So she had to communicate non-verbally to try to get laughs. And it just switched up how her brain worked. I love that. I love stepping into something that I'm not comfortable with, taking away the crutches. And I think it just it makes you more vulnerable. It exposes you. And I think, hopefully, the goal might be that it makes you um, more honest and more connected to the crowd because you're, you're stripping away the layers and you're having a more legit connection with the people right in front of you. Yeah, man, that was brilliant. It really was. And it's something I want to try to put to practice, although I haven't quite figured out how to do it in my own act because I don't know what my strengths are. I feel like I don't have any strengths. <laughs> yeah, good luck. yeah, right. Uh, but but listen, uh, she was. She was incredibly smart, way smarter than we could ever be. Uh, one thing that I thought she did, which was really actionable, was she remember we watched the video. Do you remember what it was called? Yes. Fucked up stock footage.me. Dot me. Yeah. Fucked up stock footage.me. So we did something a little different. We didn't watch stand up. We watched a video that she put together. And what I liked was that she talked about making these videos. She forced herself to do them by making these commercial parodies and using them as an intermission in her comedy show. Yeah. And so many comics have come on here and talked about how they need to be doing different things on YouTube and creating, especially in the, in the wake of the pandemic. And she found a way to force herself to do it. And I'm also going to take a moment to, to to give you props, sir, for your new web series, New to Drew. Uh, as And I, honestly, it was uh, uh, you and I collaborated on the last one, so it's a plug yeah. for me, too. But here's what you're doing, Drew. You're out there having experiences. You're gaining input, right? You're going out. You went to the farmer's market with me and my family, which sounds kind of boring. But look, that could that That's creates awesome. Could be output of comedy material, right? And we had fun doing it. So new to Drew, check out, subscribe to Drew's web uh, YouTube channel if you want to check out new to Drew and check out that episode and all of our episodes on breakingdownbits.com. One other quick shout out, Drew, if I may. We've been running our open mics. They've been a lot of fun. If you're interested in getting involved with our open mics, hit us up at breakingdownbits at gmail.com. All right, man. We ready? Let's do it. All right, so we're about to bring in our guest, Drew. This is actually our first date as a gay couple. We went to a Mark Norman show. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, during the pandemic, we snuck in to the improv. We saw Mark Norman. He was amazing. We we snuggled. It was real. Uh, life was changed forever. It was. So let's go ahead and roll a clip, and then we're going to bring in Mark. Mark Norman was born and raised in New Orleans, but after college moved to New York City to pursue comedy. You've seen him on Conan, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Showtime's Live at South by Southwest, Inside Amy Schumer, True TV, Best Week Ever, MTV, Last Comic Standing, At Midnight, and on Comedy Central. He's released multiple specials, including his most recent, Out to Lunch, available now on YouTube. Queef. Hey, good to be here. Boy, I got to update those credits. My God. True TV, Amy Schumer show, best week ever. That's been off the air for 30 years. <laughs> but you did it, and that's what's important. Here, here. I'm sorry. I'm, ho I'm in a hungover. I'm in a hotel hungover. I got some hotel coffee. It's, I got a faulty top. I'm gay. <laughs> I'm living it up. These sheets are covered in jizz and uh, <laughs> i'm gonna make them into a kkk robe later but yeah we're here we're doing it thanks for having me sorry i was late 
Ah, no big deal. Hey, yeah, thanks for doing it. So listen, here's how the show works, man. Uh, up top, what we do, Mark, is is we talk about some of your early breaks, right? So uh, a lot of a lot of newer comedians really relate to this. That's it's for comedians at all stages, but certainly people uh, one to five years in. And uh, talk to us about that period of time. You know, you graduate from UNO and you get up to New York. Uh, what's some things that were happening early on that helped you accelerate your career? Oh, geez. Well, you, you really uh, sugarcoated a lot of that. I failed out of UNO. <laughs> had to go to a college named Southeastern, which no one's heard of. It's in like Houma, Louisiana. Uh, and then I failed out of there, or dropped out of there to become a comedian. Uh, finished online because my parents made me. But yeah, moved to New York and ate shit for, I don't know, five, six years. And then things started cooking. But I think what really boosted the career, and no one wants to hear this, every Tom, Dick, and Anal goes, hey, what's the shortcut? What's the secret? Uh, can I blow you? Get get on your – can I open for you? But I think just I wrote every day. I had nothing going on. I was I, I was desperate, and I just got up five, four or five times a night and busted my ass for years, and I think that's what did it. You talked a little bit about um, your your janitorial years. Was that some of that where you said like having having a job that was kind of mindless, let your let your brain just kind of always be kind of working in the background? Totally. So I used to work at New York Film Academy, and I was the registrar, which is a horrible <laughs> gig because I had to kick kids out for being absent. Like, hey, you have twelve absent. Like, sorry, man, we got to let you go. Which that is so not me. I'm not confrontational. I'm in New York trying to live my dream, and now I'm kicking out some guy from Poland, you know, who's trying to make a, a snuff film in Union Square. So I had to quit that gig. I did it for two years to the day. I quit, and I became a janitor because uh, no more answering phones, no more bullshitting in the break room. And, I, yeah, I had headphones in all day, and I would go in the boiler room every lunch hour and write, and I would write for the full hour. And that sounds so disciplined and all that looking back, but it was just the fear of going on stage at a New York open mic was fucking brutal. So I had to be prepared just so I didn't humiliate myself. But I got a lot of big bits out of that. That's crazy. So what was what was like the first you said, like, which, which it's crazy to think because me, me and Brian are both newer comics, you know, around two ish years in. I think both of us. Um, and you said you just ate shit for five years before you before you start feeling like you came around the corner and started owning it. Like, is that? Well, I guess I was bombing for about two years straight. You know, you'd have a moment here and there, a little flash in the pan during a set. Oh, that got a titter. That got a laugh. But I was so unorganized. I was so all, all over the place. But I'd say two years of bombing and then five years was just struggling and having no money and getting blackout drunk and living in New York and uh, all that shit. So I think uh, two years of hell and then yeah. it got a little better. Nice. What was the first thing that really kind of, when you stepped in from being like an open micer and, and doing some like small showcases, what was the first thing that really launched you into like, Hey, we're getting somewhere. Some pro we're starting to make some progress. Uh, well, I had a weird moment. I was, you know, I was bombing consistently and I snapped, you know, I was broke. I'd been mugged. I didn't know about snow, uh, everything. I had no money. It was horrible. <laughs> I hated my job. And I snapped on this guy. I remember where I was and who the guy was. And the snapping was killing. And I was like doing well. And I was myself. And it, it changed everything. I, I, had, I realized like I had to shed some weird traditional comedy husk. You know, like, what's the deal with this? And uh, <laughs> who are these people and all that shit? And uh, once I railed on this guy, it kind of like made me break out of that shell that I was holding myself in for no reason. I just thought you had to do that. And that was a big turning point for me. Like, oh, just be real up there. They can see through your bullshit. They, you look like a mechanical bull. You know, you got to be, be a regular bull. And that, that helped me. But I, I hated it at the moment, but I needed it. That's really interesting because you talked about being non-confrontational. So you, you needed that snap to be able to kind of snap you into life on stage, it seems like. Because uh, I'm kind of the same way. You know, I'm, I'm non-confrontational in person. Uh, but, you know, really trying to break through and, and expose who I am on stage is, is where I'm at as a comic. And uh, I guess I just got to yell at some dude uh, at my next show. 
Yeah. Well, hey, it's got to come naturally. And it probably took two years of buildup of horrible shit to actually get the the, the steam to eventually <clears throat> blow my top. But uh, it, it was necessary. It's kind of like when you're dating a gal and there's weird tension, but you guys just both tamp it down and you're not fucking anymore and everything's weird. <clears throat> Sorry, little semen. <laughs> and, uh, and then eventually, like, you, she stubs your toe and you just lose it. And uh, that's what it was like. And it had to happen. Now the relationship's great. Nice. I, I, I know you talk a lot about being a uh, watching a lot of comedy. You, you talk you talk very much about how you you kind of uh, watch these early comics. You kind of picked up on what was going on there. And in the pandemic, I've kind of been struggling, like because we're not getting outside of my apartment as much. Uh, there's a battle between being maybe a consumer and a creator. And I'm, I'm just curious how you kind of like, because obviously you are watching a lot of comedy and you have watched a lot of comedy in the past, but you also are create like your specials are slammed full of content. Like you're not sitting around and stretching like you are creating a lot. Do you do you find that balance now? Maybe trying to get into consumer mode versus creator mode. I've actually never thought about that. I'm a big consumer. Uh, I remember in the open mic days, all my comedy friends would go, hey, let's sit in the lobby or let's sit outside and have a cigarette and talk. Why are you watching these open micers? And I was like, because I suck. I want to know what to do, what not to do. How did he come up with that punchline? I watched every guy on the show because I'm a fucking psycho. And I was like, hey, I, I thought that's what you did. And I got to learn something. You know, comedy, when I started, was not as popular. as it, There wasn't 18 specials a day. There wasn't Netflix. So you had like your Chris Rock and maybe he came out with a new one every 10 years and Bill Burr maybe or Louie. But I watched all the open micers. I would go to shows. I would pay to see Geraldo. I would do all that shit because I didn't know what I was doing. And there's not really a comedy guide anywhere. I mean, there's a couple weirdo books written by some lady in 1981 about get a comedy buddy and get a notebook. You got to have a pen. And you're like, well, that doesn't help me. Accuse. So Blowing uh, I would just, I had to consume it and, and I enjoy comedy. I enjoy bad comedy. I watch all of it. So obviously you should be creating, you should be writing, but I was a, such a weirdo because I had to watch a lot of comedy because I didn't know what the hell I was trying to get some tips just somewhere. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I I don't want to get too much into the the bit stuff till we get there, but you shared a lot about your childhood too, uh, about how you had some you had a kind of a rough. There were some definitely parts of it that were kind of rough that would you would think kind of go along with someone doing comedy, like oh you had, sure. you, had you needed that tool to deflect and kind of whatever uh, to get through daily life. But how did you transition from just using that as like a a tool to like socially you know guide yourself to like becoming a pretty epic joke writer like what was what happened that made you go hey this is working and then i'm going to commit my life to writing these jokes oh uh, that's a good question there fatty i uh i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know about the whole upbringing i mean look i i'm constantly uncomfortable i you know i'm uncomfortable with my own skin my parents are weird my childhood was a a, a weirdo just the whole thing was felt like awkward and, and strange and I was I never felt safe and for me I go jokey when I'm uncomfortable you know when the doctor's about to give you a shot you're nervous so you're like oh, oh I hope it's not AIDS whatever you just start making jokes that's my whole life and uh, so I'm always uncomfortable and it's a it's a pain in the ass but it does lead to comedy uh, it's kind of like telling a cat you know, like you ever, you ever like dangle a yarn in front of a cat and they just start batting at it, you know, and you're like, why do you do that? Did you have a weird childhood? You're like, no, I'm just freaking <laughs> out. So I just start me do, telling jokes is just me batting. I'm, I'm, I hate the yarn. I don't know. So uh, it just, I don't know, it's just in there and it, it's, it's not always from a good place, but I think the weird childhood of anything, because I don't want to be one of these Richard Pryor guys like, oh, I was funny because I had a fucking trans nanny who raped me or whatever, but I think uh, the weird childhood like opened my mind because I just thought that was life. And then you go to your friend's house in the suburbs and he's like, what the hell? You got a lady, you got a guy with a wig on tucking you in at night? What the fuck? And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that is weird. <laughs> so you start seeing things outside the box a little. And I think that that helped me in comedy. 
you know, like the idea of moving to New York City to pursue joke telling as a profession is cuckoo bananas. But yeah. maybe having a trans nanny, you know, wiping my ass every week, maybe uh, open that up for me a little. Like, who cares? What What is life anyway? It's all silly. But then you go to New York and I'm bombing for years. I'm struggling. Uh, I'm miserable. But if I get this one joke to work, the crowd will laugh. And then if I do 30 of those, I got 10 minutes or five minutes and people are paying me. So all these guys would like the, hey, you're a hell of a joke guy. You write jokes. I'm like, that's the only way I get paid if I, if I write a joke. I don't know what the hell you go on Jimmy Fallon's show. You got to do jokes. You can't talk about Mike Pence for six minutes without a punchline, which is a lot of comedy now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so everybody's like, oh, you're a joke guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to get laughs. And I like to have it prepared where I say this, 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 then this word and they laugh. I want it to be pretty meticulated. Is that a word? Meticulated? Uh, on the sh on the show it is yeah all right sorry i'm rambling the coffee's kicking in i still got tequila breath i got a boner i don't know what's going on <laughs> well you're not like a you're not like a super big uh physical comic like you uh, no you do some you do the correct amount of act outs to make a punchline work but you are clearly a guy who loves the writing and that's i think that's why i gravitate towards your work is because i'm not super physical and i i I like seeing other comics who go, Hey, you can, it, you can be, you can make it in this business, in this industry, just being a great freaking writer and telling the jokes. You don't have to be some weird ass character and, you know, be a Jim Carrey from the nineties. or something. <laughs> like that yeah. I'm with you. I mean, look, Jim Carrey, all these guys, Cat Williams is fucking hilarious. He's all over the place. JB smooth is doing backflips. Uh, Sebastian is very physical. I get it, but a, every time I do an act out, I feel my my douchebag friends from New Orleans going, nice act out, douchebag. What the <laughs> hell was that? Jeez, you can't just stand still. So I hear them in my head, so I don't want to move because I'm terrified of being made fun of, even though they're 2,000 miles away. But <laughs> also, I want to be able to say this, this, and this and get a laugh. I don't want to have to do a backflip all the time, and I want to do television. And you want to have an album where people can listen to you in their car or whatever, and it's got to be the writing. And I like funny ideas. I like when Seinfeld goes, hey, coffins, that's weird. Like, you, you ever move move apartments? You're always looking for a box. And a coffin is the uh, is the last box you get. And then your <laughs> friends move you into the ground. It's all moving. And, all, and you're like, yeah, that's kind of fun. That's true. I just like clever shit. So yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of mean to make an audience listen or watch you do backflips or hump a stool or whatever it is. Because like anybody can hump a stool, I want I want the clever idea that you didn't think of. Sure. So I'm right. gonna, is any of this making sense? I feel all, like I'm scaring you guys. All of it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we were scared. We we're scared of that boner. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I want to transition to and I uh, maybe an idea machine. Let's call it uh, Tuesday with stories. Okay, y'all, yeah. you and Joe are 380 or so episodes in 300. 3,500 plus patrons. Is that what they are? Uh, sure. So you've got a successful platform and in here in the pandemic, especially we, yeah, you know, go, go you guys. So we've seen a lot of comedians start a similar platform where they're, where they're having these discussions and they're sharing it and, and not probably not getting a lot of traction because it takes fucking time. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, We're eight years into this thing. Yeah. So can you kind of walk us through that? Maybe the early stages of that? Cause I think it could really be helpful for comics that are just getting going. Sure. I think a podcast or a TV show or a sketch show, whatever it is, it's all about finding the groove. And the beginning of the podcast was all it's all Joe List's idea. He's sitting there going, we hang out at a diner. We hang out at the cellar till five in the morning, laughing our faces off over coffee and pancakes. If we could somehow translate this into a podcast, because this is eight years ago and everybody was like, should we do a podcast? Mark Marin is making money. Well, let's try it, you know, and whatever you can do to get crack into this biz somehow. And he's like, if we can translate this into microphones and headphones, we got something here. So he said, you want to help me? And I said, I'm in. So we did it. And we had every episode, we had two comics or three comics. And we tried to recreate that hang. But it wasn't 
it didn't fit. It like nobody knew what to talk about. It got weird and interrupty. And eventually, guests would say, "Hey, I, I'll be there Tuesday, or I'll be there Wednesday at three. and they would just flake because comics are flaky and annoying and drunk and whatever. Much <laughs> like me, I was late for this. <laughs> so me and Joe would just have to riff and like bullshit to kill time. And then that started feeling good. And then eventually we had guests on and the people were like, yeah, we don't like the guests. We like when you guys just bullshit, the guests are in the way. Cause you got to go, where are you from? How, how long till your dad fucked you? Whatever it is. <laughs> and then, so we just started bullshitting. And then over months and months and months, we were, we developed a rhythm and a cadence of, of speaking and joke telling. And we're both nervous Nellies and we're scared of silence and we assume the audience is bored out of their mind. So we're just telling jokes and horrible things, queefs and anal and jizz and semen. And uh, then it just became Tuesdays, but it, it took forever. It's so good. And uh, you oh, guys thanks. reflect on basically the week prior. And uh, I, I wonder over time, how much material has, has started on that show? I mean, is it all of it? I mean, where did, where did you, how does this, uh, does this help you or does it not at all? It's helped a few times, especially with tweets, because it's I'll say a quick, silly thing about a, like a wordplay or a pun. I'm like, oh, I can tweet that. And and a couple things have formed, but I'm so not a story guy. Uh, I almost look at like John Mulaney, you know, killer comic, brilliant guy, blah, blah, blah. He's pretty clean on stage. But now he has this show on Netflix called Big Mouth, mm. which is a great show. And it's a cartoon all about kids getting horny and puberty and all this and it's almost an outlet for him to get out his horny stuff or is because he's a human being. I, I never got comics who don't talk about sex because I'm like, it's part of your life. You know, like it's I'm, it's not just a dirty thing. It's just we're human beings. We fuck. We like to fuck. We get horny. We have a libido. So he's kind of getting that dirty material out through this thing. And I feel like I'm not a story guy on stage, but now I have a podcast where I can tell stories and get them out. So in a way, it's almost like that for me. Wow. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I've got like dirty ideas and like, I don't, I can't sell that. Cause you know, I, I look like this, so it's hard for me to do dirty material. <laughs> what do you mean? You look great. You're a hot guy. Yeah. But I can't, but I can't get into like the filth. So I give it to other comics, but maybe I could come up with my own platform to put that material that the filthiest of the filth. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I saw Gary Goldman, you know, another brilliant writer, underrated comic should be huge. He, has so much material. I watched him one night at the comedy cellar, just do an hour. And I was like, what's he doing? He, you know, you don't really see a guy do an hour at the cellar that often. And they go, well, serious radio is looking for clean content. So if you can make a clean album, they'll play it and you can make a ton of money because there's so few clean comedians. And I was like, man, that is fucking genius. He just did it one night, recorded it, sent it to them. And now he's probably made hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And to me, that's like, the most impressive thing a comic can do like, Oh, you need this. I'll go do an hour of it. Or you need stories. I'll tell a story all night. You know, like Ari Shafir had that show where you tell stories. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys like me who aren't story guys had to go out and uncomfortably work a story out on stage and do it. So it's good to try new things and flex all the different comedy muscles. It's like UFC. Yeah. You're a great boxer or striker or whatever, Muay Thai guy, but can you wrestle? Can you grapple? Can you, you know, do the other stuff? So you got to be well-rounded. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now, I don't know, someone who's obviously you're in a good place, uh, you know, in, in your comedy career at this point, it seems like the game has changed a little bit and you've got to like have multiple streams of income. You've got to be yeah. doing the podcast thing, maybe with the Patreon situation, you got to be doing a YouTube account. You got to, yep. you got to have multiple things going just to make it work for a lot of guys. Totally. And it, it's a nightmare. It's a full-time job. I mean, I open for Seinfeld and I'm doing all these dumb videos in the green room and I'm like shouting out shit and taking photos. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, that's what it is now. Yeah. You got to fucking have all these different platforms and social media and be relevant and stay on top. He's like, "Ugh, that is a nightmare. He's like, just write good jokes. I'm like, that's what works for you. You're already a legend. You come guzzling Jew. Like it's not the same for us. We gotta, we gotta sell our souls out there because the, the, the audience needs content. And they got ADHD and they get bored in two seconds. So you got to keep pumping it at them. 
right? Like Louis C.K. putting out an, a fresh hour every year is like, right. like you mentioned, is totally different from back in the day in like the 80s and 90s when it was like so far few between, you know, you'd see the same comic a couple of times years apart and you still get the same set maybe. I Exactly. Seinfeld put out a special, I don't know, four years ago, like Jerry before Seinfeld. Here's all my shit from the 80s. So you're like, man, this guy's a fucking genius. He just made 20 mil on a set that's old <laughs> as shit that he won't do anymore. Then he just wrote a book with all his act yeah. in the book. And now he made yeah. a couple mil on the book. It's like this guy is squeezing every drop of juice out of this lemon and he's killing it. And and here we are tweeting 18 times a day, trying to make videos. I mean, it's he's got it right. Maybe the laziest and best book I've ever read. <laughs> clearly it was just copy and paste from his joke notebook, but I couldn't put it. I had, I couldn't stop. I did, an, I did the audio version and I just, it was, I couldn't stop. I'm going to get the audio. Is it him saying it? Yeah, it's him. Oh, I got to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's on audible and it's, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't quit. It was, it's so dumb because it's like, it's just, it's just bit after bit after bit after bit. He separates it by the decade, but I couldn't. I couldn't stop. I was addicted. I, I, I live for that shit. I eat it up with a spoon. I'll, I'll, I'm buying it today. Get it. So the let's transition to the back half, and we're really excited to do this with you, Mark. Uh, we like to talk about writing. All right. Sure. And uh, the the question we ask everybody that comes on the show very open ended. How does Mark Normand write comedy? <laughs> All right. Well, hold on. Let me get up and. Uh... You know, I do a lot of writing in hotel rooms because you can get some real freedom and you're on the road. I feel like it gets the juices jizzing. Uh, plus, my gal lives with me, so I can't I can't really I like to walk and talk. I pace mm -hmm. it out. You know, I walk around the hotel and say, so Uber's weird. I'll tell you that I do. It's really embarrassing. And, <laughs> you know, here's like a this is what I did last night. I don't know. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want you to read all the jokes, but I got stealing them. Archery, car, butt models, uh, pickup, NBA draft, heels, tits. So I just write the, the idea down. I write like heels versus tits. And I'm trying to work on this whole bit about how women wear heels, but they're the ones who like tall men. So shouldn't we be wearing the heels? Blah, 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 blah. And I just say that and I talk it out in my hotel room over and over into a hairbrush like a psycho. <laughs> and and then some funny line will come and I'll write that funny line down. And and the beauty of the hotel room writing is you get to go right to the show. We got a show. We got two shows tonight. It's Friday night. And I just try the heels thing on the first show. It does horribly. Then I tweak and I listen and I try to get on the second show. And maybe there's something there. Maybe there isn't. And then, then you're off and running. So you're kind of doing like the right on stage thing, but to yourself in your hotel room where there's no fail. There's no, you can't fail because yes. you, you just keep going until you find something. Exactly. I'd never, never heard of it put that way, but that's, I think that's exactly right. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I heard you not a fan of, of onstage writing, so to speak, or the, th or the idea of writing on stage. I think it's a bit of a myth. I think if you actually did it that way, it would take you 10 years to get an hour. And it's a little, inconsiderate to the audience i think you're like hey you guys i'm just gonna use you as a canvas for an hour because i'm a fucking indulgent piece of garbage even though you paid money and got a babysitter uh and look to each is anal but i'm just saying that that whole right on stage thing it's, it's a little unfair to the uh the public mm, yeah that says something about you too. I mean, even at this stage in your career that you treat this very professionally, that you, that you recognize that these people have paid good money and you're not going to mess with that. You're not going to ruin their Friday night by, by getting completely experimental. Well, yeah, it's low self-esteem. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't believe people showed up to hear some guy talk about his dong for an hour, but you know, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm grateful that stand up com stand up comedy is such a flimsy business. I mean, you know, like you say one wrong word, the joke fails, uh, you can have an off night, every, everything sucks. And these poor people are here for a show. And I, I don't know, like one guy coughs and the bit is ruined. A waitress can ruin a joke with a loud order. Uh, the club isn't designed right. It doesn't work. So it's so flimsy that I feel like we're already we're already walking on eggshells with this art form, you know, Unless you're Seinfeld or, or Maniscalco in a theater and everything's perfect and they're pros and they're going to kill it. 
you know, you're basically learning your craft or, or working on your craft in front of people. So it's already a little indulgent and inconsiderate. So the, the less I can make it about me, the better. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just being being focused. You're still it's something that oh gosh, I forget who said it, but we, the difference between art and entertainment. You know, people have to like it. Scott Dickers, <laughs> Scott, right. Scott, Scott Dickers from the Onion said that. I like uh, it. Which is uh, a good reminder. Onion. Like this is entertainment. People have to like it. It's about their experience. It's not just about me and what I want to do on stage. It's about making it good for them. Yeah, these cunts who do the whole like, oh, I walked half the room. I'm a badass. I'm like, no, nah, you're a bad comic. Anybody can do that. You know, easily. I can just say the N word over and over. And it's, it's so easy. Anybody can do that. <laughs> so we talked about like, okay, that's that's your general writing idea. What do you do to when you come time to prepare for a set? Uh, say you got maybe your maybe you got a, your special coming up. What are you doing to prepare for that? And do you have any last minute like moments before you step on stage? What are you doing then? Well, if it's a special, obviously that that shit is uh, hammered down for months and months. And I feel like the special, like you saw, out to lunch. Every joke has been said eight zillion times. Uh, everything transitions into one thing. There's callbacks. Like to me, that that's like a it's like a quilt. It's an AIDS quilt that that you know when it's done, and it takes years and years and years and so much work and whatever. Uh, so a special is different because you're just doing your best shit, and it's got to be in the right order, and it's all got to connect. It's like when you finish a puzzle on Thanksgiving with your family because you don't want to talk to them. And you're like, that puzzle is done. Every fucking piece is accounted for. And sometimes with a special, there's that weird corner piece off to the side. You go, it must have fallen under the couch. I don't know where it is. (laughs) But you got to just keep looking for it and then put that piece in. Because a lot of people just put specials out with a few holes in their their puzzle. And it, it shows. And I think the audience can tell. And it's it just doesn't feel complete. It's like the the Game of Thrones with the Starbucks cup. Like you got a little lazy at the end and it fucked you. <laughs> so so obviously a special is just your best shit, just honed to hell and back. But then a late night special or a set, late night set is a whole different ball game. That's like, all right, there's my clean thing. This is very relatable. This is mainstream enough. This is uh, accessible for TV. You know, so it's a, it's a different animal. Gotcha. What about last second before you step on stage? Do you have any kind of uh, game time rituals? Uh, well, depending on what city I'm in, like I did about, I'm in Nashville right now. And I did four minutes on Nashville, just like, this happened to me today. This is the vibe I get. Like, whenever I go to Denver, I love Denver. I always open by saying, Denver is a little crunchy, but still tough. You guys are like if Texas raped Portland. You know, something like that, where it's nice to have a a good, hey, I'm an outsider, I'm here, this is the way I perceive your city in a humorous way. And I think people really appreciate that, and I think it's a great way to open a, a road set. Nice, nice. Do you, do you have any, what about before the, before the set even starts, you're backstage, are you talking to people, not talking to people in your notes, what, anything, anything that happens right before you step on stage? Well, comedy is in such a weird place right now that I'm in Nashville and all these comics have moved here uh, from L.A. and stuff. So we're all in the green room. I got like five, six killers in the green room. and We're all (laughs) bullshitting and laughing. And, you know, Theo Vaughn and Nate Bergazzi and all these guys, Chris Porter. And we're all having a good time. And I was sneaking looks at my notes every now and then like, (laughs) oh, shit, I'm about to go on in front of a huge crowd. I better fucking prepare. But. I was trying to do both, and I think I should have prepared more. <laughs> I love Zany's though. It's a great. I used to live in Nashville. I actually started comedy in Nashville, and ah. def- definitely love the scene there. It's a fun entertainment town, uh, a wonderful place, and a, a great venue in, in Zany's for sure. Totally, totally great room, great town, and it's it's popping, man. Nashville and Austin. I feel like the two cities that are just becoming uh, becoming juggernauts comedically. Absolutely. Yeah, you were just in Austin, I think last week. We're in Houston. It's a two and a half ah. hour two and a half hour drive. I'm like, Drew, we gotta do this more. We gotta get up there. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Totally, man. Austin felt like felt like LA in the eighties. Uh, you know, it was like celebrities <laughs> moving there and it's sunny and I day drank. I did Rogan. I was 
at a Chappelle after party. I'm like, what the hell? I'm in Texas right now. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So we're about to drop into a quick clip from out to lunch. Uh, can you tell us about this specific day? It's at the Hayworth. I think, uh, any, anything you remember specifically about this day? Sure. Sure. Uh, I'll try to be brief. I've been talking too much, I think, but this was kind of a dark time for me. Like, not, not, I shouldn't say dark. I wasn't like a heroin addict in the gutter, but I, <laughs> I couldn't sell a special. I had this hour that was cooking. I was doing it all over the country and it was getting a little old. Like I would go back to Seattle and they're like, we heard this last year. Like we were, we're fans, but come on, buddy. Like you tweak three lines and you, you expect us to come back. So I knew I had to get it down on paper or down on wax and <laughs> put this thing to bed. But, uh, so we, I, I knew I was coming out to L.A., and I kept trying to sell it. Netflix said no, Amazon no. Everybody's like, who the hell are you? Blow me, whatever. And then so I said, well, maybe if we shoot it ourselves, somebody will buy it. We'll do all the work for them. We'll, we'll foot the bill, and then they'll buy it. And so I was coming to L.A., and we sold out a show at the, the Dynasty Typewriter. That's the name of that, that theater. And that's where Adam Sandler shot a lot of his special. It's like this cool little boutique theater in L.A., and I said, well, we sold that out. Let's just shoot it there. It's a theater. And then we said, well, let's add a show. So we added a show. We sold out another one. And I was like, all right, we got two sold out shows. Let's shoot this fucking thing. So we hired some cameras, did the whole thing. And it went okay. As you can see, I'm not murdering. It was, it's kind of a cutesy, wokey, kind of hipstery theater. And I could tell my trans midget chunk really scared him. <laughs> you know, I'm coming out of New York, like just this road comic. And it was a little precious in there. And if you listen to my album, I'm murdering, murdering. <laughs> but if you watch the video on Out to Lunch, I'm doing okay. It's not a killer set. So I walked off stage kind of like, Ah, geez, I've been killing all over the road, and this is the fucking set we tape with professional cameras and all that. So it wasn't it wasn't great. Like I walked out of there, me and my friend got a beer, and I went to went to my hotel room. Man, I, you know we the clip we're about to play is right before the trans midget joke, <laughs> but it's a great. I think it's a it's really important for comics to hear and, and internalize, just because it's it kind of tells us where we're at as far as a PC culture. Uh, so I think you do a good job illustrating that. So we're gonna watch about a three three minute clip. Is that cool? Yeah, she's a three minute clip of myself. Maybe I'll uh, I'll I'll hit the head or something. I, I can't hear this. <laughs> Here we go. We're so obsessed with words now. It kind of shows how good we have. We've got to focus on words, you know? Like, in the 70s, it was all about actions. Like, if you want to show you're brave in the 70s, you had to jump over 12 buses on a motorcycle. Now I see a guy make an off-color joke at the office. I'm like, that guy's fucking fearless. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. People take things so seriously. I guess they got to show you their personality by yelling at you about stuff that bothers them. I don't know. Like... I don't mean any of this stuff. I'm just saying words in a certain order to elicit laughter. People like try to figure me out through my act. It's all jokes. I told an abortion joke recently, and a woman approached me. She was like, hey, that's very insensitive. I've had an abortion. You shouldn't tell jokes like that. I was like, whoa, hey, sorry. I just told a joke. I think what you did was much worse. <laughs> but, you know, either way, I'll see you at home later, honey. <laughs> And again, all jokes. I love abortions. I paid for two last week. I'm a fan, right? <laughs> you remember? Come on. It's all jokes. A friend of mine, she works at Planned Parenthood. She loves that joke. And I was like, ah, I might have to get rid of it. People don't like it. She's like, no, no, you got to keep it. I was like, ah, I might get rid of it. She's like, no, no, you got to keep it. I was like, ah, I might get rid of it. She's like, no, no, you got to keep it. I was like, ah, I might get rid of it. I was like, don't tell me to do with my body of work. She's like, every joke's a miracle. <laughs> but I don't want to upset anybody, you know? Ah, oh, jeez. I don't want to upset. That's not my intention. You know, I'm upsetting people on accident now. I was at a Starbucks recently. This guy handed my coffee. I went, hey, thanks, chief. This guy goes, ooh. <laughs> don't say chief. It's offensive to Native Americans. I was like, how is that offensive? He goes, whoa, don't say how. <laughs> Come on. How do we get here? Weird times. Weird times. Taking words away, you know, I get it. You know, words hurt people. I get it, you know. But here's the thing. We're kind of in like a weird word prohibition. Can't say this, can't say that. That's why I feel like every now and then we should all go to a politically incorrect speakeasy. <laughs> Just somewhere we can all go to say horrible stuff and nobody cares. You got no hate in your heart. You don't want to hurt anybody. But if you can't say it there, give us a place you can. 
right? You go down some creaky stairs, you bang on a big steel door. The guy's like, what's the password? Retarded. Get in here! All right. It's like the 90s again. Because offensive words, they're like alcohol. Sure, you can abuse it. Sure, you can hurt people. If you do it responsibly, it's a good time. Just don't do it at work. Don't do it around kids. But go home, close the door, take the edge off. Ah, midget. I don't want to say little people. That's like drinking no duels. <laughs> but of course, I get it. I just, you know, find it funny. I get it. But here's the problem. We forget that no one's politically correct up here. We're all animals. You know, we're all trying to, we're all seeing the same thing. We're all thinking the same thing. No one's PC in their brain. That's just a filter you put on when you talk so you seem nice. Like, no one sees a hot girl bend over and thinks, look at that independent woman. I like to treat her equally. <laughs> no, we're sick. Men and women. We're gross. But look where it's all gotten us. Doesn't it feel like the whole country's pent up? Feels like everybody's angry right now. We got white supremacists, protests, hate groups. It's weird you're allowed to be hateful in America as long as you're not specific. Isn't that weird? And if you're like, I hate Mexican people, everybody's like, oh my God, what a bigot, prejudice. But if you're like, I hate people, everybody's like, ha, fucking right. <laughs> Isn't that worse? People are angry now, man. I had one of those uh, White Lives Matter rallies go by my house the other day. I freaked out. Then I realized, oh, it's just a half marathon. <laughs> That was close. Uh, literally on the head. So we are now in a in a hotel bathroom. <laughs> yes, We're doing it. Oh man! So so that's a great set, a piece of your set. And again, I think that those types of things need to be told to audiences. We need <laughs> to hear this. This needs to get pushed out. It's it makes it easier for all of us. Sure. So we appreciate your voice. Oh, thanks. I mean, uh, that was me. That. Oh man, hearing that was brutal. But a lot, I remember a lot of those jokes. Like, I wrote that one in Florida in a condo. I wrote that one in New York in my apartment. And it's all just gum and tape. You just got to string all these jokes together. In the words of Gary Goldman, you write a special one sentence at a time. And it's so true. Like, that shit took forever to just put all together. And, uh, and also, I didn't want to be like the. Hey guys, we can't, we need free speech and we can't say shit anymore. And everybody's a pussy. I didn't want to sound like that guy, but I also wanted to get that message across that like, yeah, stop yelling at everybody about words because you have evil thoughts too. You know, like let's, let's not act like you're high and mighty. You're, you hate Asians inside your head. We just don't know about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. The way that you handle this whole topic and the way that you're able to spend so much time kind of breaking it down is great. Um, and you, you do it so smartly and funny. Like it's, as I'm watching, you know, I think every comedian nowadays in the back of their mind is going like, is this going to get, right, this right. Joke? is everyone, is everyone going to, is this going to rile up the crowd and I'm going to be hated for it. And it, even as I was kind of running that filter in the back of my mind, I was like, man, Mark really nailed it. And he covers his bases and you kind of use the comedy jokes to kind of like, Hey, everybody. This is this is meant to be funny. And did that kind of did that kind of comedy thing come out of just trying to make sure that everyone stayed in the right headspace? Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I mean that's that's kind of where we were at. Uh it was right when all that shit was really getting bad. And I had to be like, comedy, I'm just joking. I'm a comedian at a comedy <laughs> show. It says comedy on the wall behind me. Like everybody relax. These are jokes. Um, so that's where that came from. Yeah, just me reminding people i'm a comedian these are jokes uh i have a joke in my act now about the, how the holocaust is real and people like get, get mad at me and i'm like yeah i'm joking i obviously know it's real you fucking retard like what the hell's wrong with you are you idiot? are you lying or are you retarded like which one is it um but yeah like so that's where that came from and but here's the thing you, you said nice things about that that whole chunk that shit took months and years of failure and humiliation and people going like oh god what is get enough with this shit you know just trial and error trial and error over and over and i finally got something out of it and just kept the shit that worked over many many attempts and that's the that's why i'm so glad that this special is doing well and people are watching it we're almost at five million views here it's because like it takes a lot to get that shit to work. That's heavy stuff, like retard and midget and all that, racial stuff, white lives matter jokes. Like That is touchy shit, and the only way to get it to work is to fail with it a million times, and everybody hates you and goes, this guy's fucking nuts. Is he racist? Is he a supremacist? What's going on here? So you got to be willing to like 
endure that shit. And that's why it feels so good that people are watching this fucking thing because that wasn't wasn't pretty. Yeah, that's ballsy that you had to go and, and try this. The first time when you're doing like these jokes, how does it feel before you're like going on stage going, well, I got this new idea. It's kind of edgy. Let's see how it goes. Like It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Like a new joke is hard on its own. You can have a joke about, uh, you know, couches. That's hard. Let alone now add a racial element in a racially tense time in an all white room from a white guy. I mean, there's so many elements against you. Uh, and that's why it's hard to do. And I'm glad it's hard because not everyone can do it or everyone is willing to do it. But it also is it's bittersweet because you're like, I don't know if I can do that again. That was just a nightmare getting to that that final point. <laughs> Are you strategic about when you put that into your set? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't open with that shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you the opening for this. This is great. I mean, you're like, I got basically I got all the worst parts of, of autism and, and it's really disarming. You know, I'll give you a weird hug. I'll make you feel weird. It's all that. That's all setting the audience up for this is what we're this is. This this is my sensibility for the rest of this set. And so all calculated all yeah. thought out. This, it looks like a cute autism joke, self-deprecating. But it's me going, I don't mean any of this shit. I'm just saying stuff. I have no ill will. Please don't hate me. I'm 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 messed up in the head. <laughs> I get really nerdy about joke order sometimes. So how sure. much how much thought goes into the order of this of your entire set and how many times did that change as you were trying to work out how to make all this stuff work? Oh, a ton. Order is so key. I mean, that's why also, you know, you do a 10-minute set around the city or a guest spot or 5 minutes, 8 minutes, whatever it is. So working out like a lot of that stuff that's why it's each joke is almost like a joke on its own. Like white lives matter. Uh, oh, it was a half marathon. Like that joke is just a quick 12 second joke that I can kind of put anywhere. And then I just added them all together. Like I had like six gay jokes in this, but those jokes were all scattered all over my act and I just put them all together. So it seems like this chunk, but it's really just separate jokes that I've just put together in a little section, like gay women, race, PC, drinking, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. So order is so key. And you kind of, you feel like one, your strategy, at least on this one, was to kind of like just arrange them topically and say, hey, let's stay on this topic for a minute and let's move on to a, a new topic, new topic, new topic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I opened for Tom Papa years ago. I was like, a, I was like three years in. I was not great. But he was like, you got to joke about your girlfriend. Then you got to joke about cars. Then you got to joke about dogs. He's like, you're starting from scratch on every joke. Put them all together. So that way you're at least staying on one subject. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then it flowed so much better because it's a lot for an audience to go, wait, we're off dogs now. Now we're talking about soda pop. Okay, shit. I, I got to recalibrate. It's a lot for them. Yeah, you get some momentum with the audience when you when you st stick at least in a general zone for a minute, I guess. Right. There, I've, I've got something interesting for you. Uh, I haven't found anybody that's transcribed out to lunch, but I found uh, some somebody that transcribed your your 2017 special. You know, all the words, word for word. What, wow. What? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have time for that. But no. what I did was I put it in a word cloud, which takes a second. You copy, you paste the whole thing and it tells you which words you use the most. It makes them bigger. OK. Uh -oh. Yeah. No, no, no. It's good. It's a good oh. thing. <laughs> so it laughter's one because he said laughter and he also had applause. But like is the word that you use the most. And I would have guessed Nazi, but I guess like. <laughs> okay. But I want to I want to tell you why that's important. So you've got a, a almost like a, an equation to some of to to your comedy that, that sure. works, and I love it, and I've actually applied it to some of my own writing. But like is great because it it can it can be used like so an example, like as an analogy, which you do quite a bit of, and then like is the emotion. So the yes. fact. The fact that like has risen to the top is 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 really says something about your comedy and, and it's something that all comics can take away as to how they can become better writers. Wow, geez. Uh, you guys did your homework. That, ah, was, that was amazing. Breaking uh, down I, bits. I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the word like because I think, you know, valley girls and people yeah. overuse it. Right. Oh my God. I was like so hungover. I'm like, so were you hungover or were you like hungover? So I yeah. think people use like in that sense. But if you go Hey, that cheeseburger tastes like chicken. That like I get. That's totally fine. Or if you go, I like this guy, that like I get. But when people use like, 
it's almost like a it's it's bad writing because you're basically saying I can't think of the word I need, but it's like this thing. That's bad writing. Just say the better word. Uh, so I try not to use it in that sense. But like is very dangerous. That's that could get ugly. Well, it's like you got to fight for the word economy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They don't use it in those in as a fluffer as a fluffer kind of sense. Right. I was like in a hotel the other day. No, you were in a hotel. You weren't like in a hotel. You were in a hotel. What are you talking about, like? Yeah, so. and and I wanted to point out that you don't abuse it. It's just it's it's just naturally it's how your bits develop. And so, it, like you said, it's not Valley Girl style. It is it's intentional, but it's important to how your bits uh, unfold. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. It's it's a, I'm a, a big analogy guy because I have no faith in the audience getting what I'm saying. So I have to give them an analogy, almost like they're a special needs kid. No, you're right, and that's what you talked about. You know, Drew mentioned it earlier. It's about getting momentum. It's about not switching around topics. You have to make it easy for them to laugh. Yes, and, and that's what you're doing here. That's the part no one tells you about in comedy. They go, "Hey, you just be funny, you be original, and all that's great." But you also have to get these idiots in Cincinnati to understand exactly what you're saying and have it be palatable and accessible the whole time. It can't, if, if the audiences do any thinking, they'll just they'll just tune out because it's path of least resistance. Yeah. So when you're coming up with these kind of edgy or, or more difficult jokes, you, you mentioned like your writing process is a lot of talking to yourself. Uh, do you also like do you do multiple different things to try to like stir up? those thoughts do you sit down pen to paper sometimes as well do you or is it do you have like one kind of uh strategy that you kind of keep using because it works for you i don't do the pen to paper i'm just i just get nothing out of that i just sit and stare at the paper and i start thinking about my childhood or everything i've said that was stupid <laughs> so i need the walk because it keeps me in line like it keeps yeah. me back like, hey get back to it get back to it uh i need to i need to talk out loud but what I'll do sometimes is like if I'm driving or if I'm in, on a flight, I'll just sit and think about it and just kind of stew on the bit. And mm -hmm. sometimes that'll help me just like let it marinate. Sometimes you think of a bit in, in March and you just think about it here and there. And then in June, you're like, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's got to just sit there because I have jokes where I just can't crack them. And then I'll, I'll put it to the side. And once you fall out of love with that bit, you can see it clearly. You know, it's like, you know, your friend's like, I love Kelly. And you're like, Kelly's a weirdo, toothless skank. What are you, crazy? And then and then a year later, he's like, what was I thinking with Kelly? And you're like, I know, we all hated her. <laughs> but that's the same with a bit because you get so excited about a bit. You fall in love with it. And you get It's all precious and beautiful. And then you realize later, oh, that's that's why I didn't figure it out because I was seeing it with rose-colored glasses. You got you to gotta fall out of love and see it for what it really is. And then you can crack it. Yeah, I got to see it like the audience sees it. I, I noticed when in my early, I mean, I'm still kind of in my early days, but I noticed it a lot of times when I write a joke that really bombs, it's because I'm not seeing it the way everyone else in the room is yeah. the thing that I'm talking about. And I'm like, why don't you get this? And they're like, why don't you get this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not making any sense. But you need a little of that. You need a little of that uh, just to to want to have the motivation to fully write a bit. You need a little bit of obsession about it. Yeah, that that was one of the keys early on. It's just keep obsessing about it. Let you know, find your head. wipe on the podcast. Let me, right? let me let me get a wipe in. Uh, <laughs> can you see my ass or anything? Not yet. <laughs> Thank right, you. Keep, keep aiming. Lower, lower. <laughs> back, back to front. Uh, for everyone oh listening on audio form, they are going to have to switch over to YouTube for this one. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Hang on, uh, hang on. It's all part of the process, boys. It's good work. It's good work. All right, I'm listening though. This is how we. This is how the the chocolate's made, or whatever. Sure, the it's how the fudge is packed. <laughs> so I I don't do a lot of. I want to do more analogies bit. And actually, when I left your show, I was fucking inspired and went out and wrote probably one of my best bits. It's oh, my, my, yeah, nice. dude. My good two kids. You. I pinned two two young kids. One of them's a Republican. One of them's a Democrat. And then uh -huh. they. They come together at the end in conflict, and I end with a pun, right? My kid's name's Joseph. He bites. His name's Joe Biden. So that's <laughs> that. All nice. that shit, all that shit came together uh, just from inspiration. But this is stuff you're you're doing really well. You don't do the right like you'll write the two things out like a gun in your cock. I think is in this special, and you write down all the different things related to to penises and related to guns and try to match double entendres and stuff. You don't go through any of that shit. 
Oh, no, I, I do all that. I, I'm okay. totally just sitting around going, gun, dick. Okay, boats are scary. Boats you can't whip out in public. And then, of course, you know, rule of threes, you need that third one to be a little outside the box, a little more jokey and funny. That's why it's it's the the ending. It's got to hit harder. So I finally came up with, hey, I'm circumcised. I'm like a shotgun. <laughs> I'm sawed off. And then that one hit. And I was like, all right, I got it. But that took that took a while. Yeah. What about like com- a lot of comics say, you know, some of their riffs is uh, when they sit around with other comedians and kind of just like talk shop and kind of bounce stuff off. You do a, like that that video series you have with Sam Morrill is one of my favorite things to watch. It just oh, makes wow. me, I go, I want to have comedy friends like that, that we can just like <laughs> slam ideas back and forth and just work out these bits. Do you get do you find that you make some bits? <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> do you make some of your do you find that you make actual make content that makes it to stage that way? Or is it more you seem like a very in your own world solo style writer up to this point in the conversation? No, I mean, uh, me and Sam have been bouncing bits since 2009 or whatever. So he's like one of the only guys. Obviously, I'll tell List or I'll tell Gary Veter or somebody a, a bit idea and we'll bounce. I think that's pretty standard for comics, but me and Sam, we used to do like four hour sessions where we would, for some reason we found that texting worked because you don't have that awkward silence of staring at each other when you can't think of anything and you don't have the weird social, uh, social norms mm-hmm. of like, he's looking at me. I got no idea with a text. You can just kind of throw it out there and think or read a text and think and take a minute and so it really works for us with text and writing. But now we do it on the podcast just because that's like what we've done for years. So we just say we'll do it do it for uh, entertainment value. But, yeah, I, I think you got to bounce it with a friend. I think that's key. Again, it skips all that. It skips a lot of months of that whole falling out of love thing I talked about. And you can just have a friend see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. So you do like having a comedy buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the book. Oh, yeah. Shop fired comedy Bible. Yeah, yeah. She, she had a couple things, right? Uh, so, Drew, I'm going to transition to our last segment. We're going to let you off the hook, Mark. So uh, we do this thing. It's called Last Laugh. Give us one second to play it. Yeah, that's what it is. So we have a tombstone, man, and uh, it's it's the joke, and I, it's probably your name on the, the, the whatever you want to write on that thing to be remembered by. Last laugh. What is it? Oh, jeez, uh, a lot of pressure here. Tombstone engraving. Good lord. <laughs> uh, New Orleans is known for their interesting tombstone situation. So that's true. That's true. Oh, above you know, ground. The yeah. hurricanes used to pull up dead bodies back in the day, so they had to go above ground with like Talk a mausoleum. Last laugh. Yeah uh hey you know thanks for the thanks for the chuckles wait no wait that's what they would say to me uh uh let's see son brother queef uh sorry to everybody if i annoyed you and uh i'll see you in hell fatty (laughs) perfect we're gonna get it made all right. right there you go praise allah throw that on there at the end <laughs> <laughs> uh man, so, so we'll let you get out of here man we're going to uh just i think you got a, a rogan episode coming out probably today or sometime soon which is cool i gotta tell uh, you i don't know what i did it's been a week it hasn't come out i'm, I'm I hope uh, Spotify doesn't hate the Jew jokes or something. <laughs> They're trying to upload it anyway, and you just really amped up that heat, huh? Yeah, I mean, I really went. I went hard. A lot of lot of downsy jokes, and we were, you know, when you get in that weird studio, it looks like you're in the inside of an asshole. You feel like a like a, a proctology camera, but I, I just went hard because I'm like, well, it's not on YouTube anymore. Let's have fun. And uh, I'm worried that some twink at Spotify is pissed and threw my <laughs> threw my clip in the garbage. What else, what else do you have going on we need to plug that we need to make sure people are checking out? Obviously, the Out to Lunch special on YouTube, which is outstanding and thanks coming up on 5 million views uh so that's freaking awesome yeah i yeah you watch that leave a comment check out tuesdays of stories if you want to hear uh me and joe tell stories that we don't tell on stage and uh go to my website i'm probably coming to a town near you hopefully we get the vaccine and we can all make love again and have an orgy and uh yeah i guess that's about it follow me on the socials the grams and the tweets and the twats 
And uh, yeah, yeah, be nice to each other and, you know, don't take life too seriously. We're all going to die one day and queef it up. Live your life. Have fun. Have a chuckle and stop yelling at people. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, love love what you're pushing out. All this comedy, all the, the point of view. So great. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, that, that comedy special out to lunch will just keep climbing and we'll, uh, we'll see you in Houston here. Hopefully it's sometime soon. I know you're Lafayette or something in the, in the new, in the next couple of days or weeks, but hopefully we'd love to see you in Houston again. Have you heard of Brian, Texas? Yes. Oh, that's oh yeah. right. you're coming to three knocks or five knocks, yeah. five five knocks. with Alex. There you there. go. Is that close to Houston or what? Yep. Yeah, we'll be there, man. We'll oh, be there. Hey, say hello. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be out there. Uh, I did comedy out there about a month ago with Alex and C- Alex and Cena, who booked you. So, uh, yeah, oh, dude, great. looking forward to it. Come back to Houston. Come see Zod and Youngblood down here at the Seeker Group. They're about to open back up. I love those guys. Those guys are awesome. Uh, super funny comics. And yeah, I'll be back. I love Texas. Praise Allah, and I'll see you in hell. Thanks, guys. Quick Thanks, up Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thank y'all for listening. Y'all be good. Comedy. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.